sometimes you talk about things where several people have something they want to do and nobody ends up doing it. That happened this morning. We should have changed the number on the board. We have over 200 people here this morning. That needs to be reflected. And uh, about five of us usually change the board, and I guess all of us thought somebody else would do it, and nobody, I thought about walking around and doing it while we were singing. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful morning to be, have a crooked number at the beginning again. So, if we are not fishers of men, then what are we? This morning we took a textual look at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And we reminded ourselves from that text about how Jesus has us, hopefully, right where we are. In our jobs, our families, our neighborhoods, our schools. In order to be all in, in following Him, and in seeking to win others to Him. To be fishers of men. We are to be fishing for people, trying to win people to Jesus. But if we're not doing that, then what are we? Well, the short and very blunt answer is we're being unfaithful. And in a lot of ways, we could just end the sermon right there and you'd be really happy because we'd be done right, right then and there because we're either doing what the Lord told us to do or we're being unfaithful. While blunt, it's really just that simple. But I want us to dig a little deeper than just making that blunt statement tonight. Because the phrase that's sometimes used, has been in the past anyway, that the phrase itself may seem a little bit lighthearted, but it's meant to be very eye-opening. And I hope tonight to make it the second of those, to make sure it's eye-opening to us, for us individually and for us congregationally. You know, in recent months, as you know, if you've been here at Central at all, we've been doing our best to make a strong push for the entire congregation to have some part to play in personal evangelism. Our evangelistic card writing teams are off to a wonderful start. We've had one Mission Monday back in January. We're looking forward to another one, not tomorrow night, but one week from tomorrow night, so just about, what, eight days away. We've had some training as far as being teachers for World Bible School, and some have already uh, signed up to do that and begun that work, and there's other things planned for that in the near future. There's just a, a lot going on, all of it in an effort to provide each one of us with ways in which we can seek to win the lost and know that we're having a hand in that, or at least striving to have a hand in that, and know that everyone else is striving to do that. So we're there to encourage one another and help one another when times can be distracting or discouraging. We're trying very hard as a congregation to be filled with people who are fishing for the lost. But if we're not, what are we? Or what will we become? We'll become nothing more than keepers of the aquarium. And no, Nemo is not in that picture anyway. Tonight's sermon is very topical in nature. I mentioned to you this morning that we spent some time in the text this morning in Mark chapter 1, and we, we dug through those five verses fairly deeply. And I mentioned to you this morning, tonight we're going to take some principles based off of that. And I tell you that because there's not going to be a ton of Bible verses in tonight's lesson. But I hope you see that the principles are based upon God's Word and springboard off of, or springboard from, what we talked about this morning. But I want us to talk tonight about some things that can fight against us individually and congregationally that will keep us from keep by putting evangelism first and keeping it there. What are some tendencies? What are some ten, uh, temptations that we will inevitably face when we seek to win the lost that can distract us from our focus being on what it should be on first and foremost? 
in reality, we could just start listing things and be here all night long because anything can distract us from that work. But I want to simply talk through tonight four things that are broad considerations, but that are also things that are very common for congregations to face, especially as they strive to do this work, that can very easily distract them from keeping evangelism number one. And all of these things, well, at least three of them, are not bad in and of themselves. But they still can pull us away from what needs to be our first and pri- uh, work of priority. Consider, first of all, comfortable traditions. I'm going to say a lot of things tonight that are stepping on toes, and I'll tell you that the ten I'm stepping on the most are right up, standing right up here. So I might as well start with one that does just that. But at the outset, let me say that the word tradition is not always a bad thing. Even in the New Testament, the word tradition is used in both a positive light and a negative light. It simply depends on the setting. It simply depends on the context, what the tradition is, where it's founded. For example, on the negative side of things, Jesus interacted with the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, and you recall that they wondered why the disciples of Jesus were breaking with the tradition of of their own tradition, the tradition of the elders as they put it, as it pertained to washing their hands, a ceremonial hand washing. And Jesus made it clear that if you want to wash your hands, that's fine in that ceremonial way. But then He said, why are you, if I may paraphrase a bit, why are you superseding God's law with your own tradition? Why are you putting those things above the law of God? But on a positive side, Paul wrote about church discipline in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and he began that discussion with these words. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according with the tradition that you receive from us, us, the us being the apostles. And so in the English, it's the word tradition in Matthew 15 and 2 Thessalonians 3. In the original Greek language, it's the same word. And so when we speak of a tradition, we're not necessarily speaking of something that's good or bad, at least on the face of it. It could be good or bad on the face of it, but it doesn't have to be. So what I'm suggesting is that, though, tonight, if we're not careful, we can begin to become so comfortable in our traditions that either, one, we become like those Pharisees and put our traditions on the same level of or even above the Word of God, or, two, we just like what we like and we're never willing to consider other ways to look at things or do things. Now let me very quickly hasten to say, I am not suggesting changing Scripture. That's not a tradition. Scripture always stands. But there are certain things that are traditional of necessity. Let me give you an example. The Bible makes it clear, the New Testament makes it clear, that we are to meet on the Lord's Day as we're doing right now. The disciples came together to break bread on the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Every example we have is to make certain that we meet on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. But when on the first day of the week? Now, I kind of like 9.30 and 10.30 and 6. I'm kind of used to that. Why? Because it's traditional. Some of you have traveled to some parts of the country or parts of the world, though, where they meet at 1 o'clock in the afternoon because that's when everybody can get there. Are they less faithful because they meet in the afternoon? No. Are they less faithful because they only meet once? No. Leah and I met one time with a church in Glasgow, Scotland. 
that met about 11 o'clock in the morning. That's the only time they met. And the reason was very simple. People had to ride trains and things well over an hour to get to services, and then an hour or so home. Can you imagine getting back on the train and getting across town more than once on a Sunday? But they met for a long time when they met. Meeting on the Lord's Day is the command. When on the Lord's Day can become a tradition. And it's okay. We need to make certain that we understand what the difference is. The new, another example, the New Testament makes it clear that as we've done tonight, we, we sing and we sing only. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, Hebrews chapter 13 talks about that. We offer the praise of lips, the fruit of lips to God. That's the command. And we're told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And make sure that it fits that umbrella, if you will. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But what if someone comes and leads a song that we've never heard before? It's new. Or, what if we like singing new songs and some guy gets up here and leads something that's 127 years old? If it's a psalm, hymn, or spiritual song, who cares? That's tradition. So long as it fits under the command, there are certain things that are traditional that are allowed within that. And we could list a countless number of things that have to do with schedules or events or use of technology or any number of other things. But our goal must always be to search the Scriptures and hold fast to the Scriptures above anything else. But other things that just become tradition, we can enjoy it and it can help us to be comfortable in a way, but it should never become so comfortable that it becomes a test of faith. Because if it is, we're trying to win people to our tradition instead of to the Gospel. And we're to try to win people to the Gospel and teach them what it says above anything else. My tradition, your tradition, our tradition will save no one. The Gospel will save everyone. That's what can sometimes hold us back. is simply getting comfortable in liking what we like. Number two, sometimes churches struggle with evangelism because they're buried by the building. Now, I won't spend a lot of time here, but sometimes what becomes an anchor in our efforts to evangelism is we put so much effort in making sure our aquarium is so nice and so comfortable that we're buried under all the responsibility of it. Let, let me say, I believe church buildings are a good thing. They're not required by Scripture, but the, the, the commandment to assemble gives us the right to build a building for us to assemble in. Noah's not here now. He's at Freed Harbor Lectures tonight, but you've seen pictures from him already where people have met under trees in Africa. That's fine. They assemble at those places. Some of you have worshipped in places in other parts of the world, in a home or in a rented room. That's fine. A church building, though, is, is a fine thing as far as an effective thing, and an efficient thing. And if a church chooses to have a building, I believe that the principle of doing things as unto the Lord comes into play. That if we're going to have a building, we make certain that we keep it as best we can. A church that is unkempt and has siding falling off all over the place, that speaks volumes and probably not the volumes we want it to speak. And we're thankful for those who help keep up a building, deacons who look after those things, those who give of time and effort to make certain that little repairs are done and upkeep is done. It helps the place to look better. It saves the church money and different things. I think it's wonderful. So what do I mean? What I mean is, sometimes we can get so caught up in the structure being, built, uh, being large and nice and comfortable that we forget to make certain we're bringing people into that nice, large, comfortable building. And sometimes, congregations can even take on so much debt to make sure 
that's huge and massive and new that there's not money to evangelize. I'm grateful that was mentioned at the beginning of the year that we are very, very close to paying off the loan for our expansion for a lot of reasons, but I'll tell you the main one is because it frees up money to evangelize. It frees up money to share, more money to share the gospel with people around the world. That's the way it should be. There must be balance. Yes, a building has to have updating and it has to be nice to a way that there's going to be maintenance on a structure of this size. But if we think that we are faithful just because we have a beautiful edifice and comfortable surroundings, we've missed the point of the gospel. And sometimes we can be buried by the structure in which we meet instead of make, making sure we're trying to reach people to hear the gospel in that place. Number three, sometimes congregations struggle because of what I'm nicknaming especially syndrome. There's probably a better way to describe it, but I thought this was cute, so I went with it. Especially syndrome. It comes from a, a well-known passage in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Now that word especially obviously is there for a reason. But it can become a crutch if we allow it to do so. Because sometimes we can read that verse or hear that verse talked about and we can go right to that clause and say, see, we're supposed to take care of our own. We need to be taking care of Christians. And that's true. Obviously the last part of that verse is there. But we can't leave the first part of the verse off. We are to do good to all people as we have opportunity. It's possible, and this is just for you to think about another time, it's possible, there's an argument to be made, that that especially clause is there so that Christians would actually take care of each other. In other words, we can get so caught up in reaching out, reaching the lost and those sorts of things, that we overlook the people who are right beside us and right near us as part of our church family. I'm not suggesting that's for certain why that clause is there, but it's at least possible. But I say that to say this, if we're not careful, we can turn totally on its head that whole concept and only, if you please, help our own. Now, can we help every person, everywhere, with every problem? Of course not. But Galatians 6.10 doesn't require that, does it? It's stating that we need to meet needs as we have opportunity to do so. Probably every day you have an opportunity to do so. In your school, in your home, where you work, in your neighborhood, online, through prayer. It may be something simple as, as a small, kind word. Or we think of as a simple act of kindness. It may be something that you are only a small part of, but it's part of a much larger work. Or it may be that you have opportunity to do something that would seem to be of grand significance. You or your family can do something that seems to be huge. But whatever it is, if we just think, well, he or she, that person, that group, they're not Christians, so I don't have to do anything. We're missing this command and we're also missing the spirit of the Gospel. Acts chapter 10 tells us that Jesus went about doing good. You ever consider how much of the good that Jesus did was for or toward people who either didn't like Him or didn't really care all that much. Or they were there for the wrong reason. And yet Jesus always did what was good. Sometimes, by the way, just parenthetically, 
that meant shooting straight with some people and telling some hard things. But very often it meant healing people, caring for people, showing people sympathy, simply because they needed it. Everywhere He went. That is to be our life as well. We are not going to win people to the Lord if they have no idea that we even care for them. And those people will not know that we care for them if we have especially syndrome. Yes, we need to take care of our fellow Christians. We can always do better. But I think we do a great job. We can always do better. But if someone is not a Christian, do I still have an opportunity at times to help? Yes, and I should take those. I should do those good things and I should connect those good things always to the glory of God. Matthew chapter 5, and verse 16. Now those first three things aren't always bad in and of themselves. But the fourth point of the lesson really is the overarching point of all of them. And I'm telling you, it is bad. What keeps us sometimes to just being keepers of the aquarium is insidious apathy. I just don't care. In many ways, this is the main point of what can cause us to become nothing more than keepers of the aquarium. We're just not motivated sometimes to step out of our comfortable routine to do something that might be a little difficult or might cause some pushback. Apathy is a horrible thing. It's a dangerous thing. And what makes it dangerous, of course, is that it's comfortable. Apathy doesn't require us to work very hard. Apathy doesn't require us to stretch our limits. Apathy doesn't require us to face a difficult conversation. And yet we can still feel good because, well, I'm not hurting anybody's feelings. Or I'm not causing any kind of strife or struggle in any relationship or anyone else's life. Jesus has never allowed His people to be apathetic. It is impossible. And that's strong terminology. But it is impossible to be faithful to the Lord and have a heart that's not in it. But instead that's comfortable in inactivity. When Jesus gave the Great Commission as recorded in Matthew chapter 28, we often say that He said, go into all the world. He actually used a word that more literally translated as going, which makes for terrible English. We might say, as you go. As you go. In other words, He wasn't giving us an out if we're not you know, able to travel or something. We have a couple of our members right now, David and Grayson, halfway around the world in the Philippines. Maybe physically or something, or financially, I can't make that kind of trip. Jesus didn't give us an out because I can't go halfway around the world or even halfway across the state. He said, as you go. And we are going people. He gave us a command to say, that wherever we are, we should be willing to talk about Him and try to win people to Him. Now, will that ruffle some feathers sometimes? Sure it will. Will it be uncomfortable at times? Absolutely. Would it always be convenient? Nope. But folks, we are going people. We go shopping, we go to work, we go to school, we go on trips, we go online. And as we go, Jesus will not allow us to remain apathetic. He demands of us to be people who are speaking about Him constantly. Can I give you a challenge? Here's, here's a Sunday night challenge. Probably a good percentage of us, maybe over half of us, will go online before we go to bed tonight. Some of you will check Facebook. Some of you may be checking Facebook now. I'm just saying. Possible. Some will scroll Twitter. Some of you are doing that right now, probably. Some will check Instagram. 
A few will send snaps. Hopefully even fewer will be on TikTok. Here's the challenge. Which is really what Jesus is saying in the Great Commission. Tonight, as you go, say something for Jesus. Say something for Jesus. Before you go to bed tonight, if you go online, share a Bible verse. Share something about how awesome Jesus is. Make an encouraging post about how awesome His people are. Make a short video about what God has done in your life. But don't make it about you. Make it about Him. Share Him with the world. And then sometime later in the week, do it again. And then sometime next week, do it again. And just see if as you're going, it doesn't become easier over time. That's fairly simple because I'm hiding behind a screen. I, I don't mind sending something real quick, you know, hiding behind a screen. But it also then becomes easier when I'm not behind the screen. I'm looking someone face to face and I can say, would you come to church with me on Sunday? Or I look up at that waiter or waitress at a restaurant and I say, my family is about to pray. Can we pray for you? You see, as you go, we have got to avoid apathy. People need the Lord. The question that each of us has to answer is, will we tell them about Him or not? There are so many good things that we can do with our time. And I mean that congregationally. It's a wonderful thing to spend some time fellowshipping. It's a wonderful thing to see people after services standing around encouraging one another. It's a wonderful thing to hear about people calling each other and texting each other and just encouraging and dealing. There are times we get away from each other just to rest a little bit. And that's great. All these things are understandable. But we individually and we congregationally can never become complacent as it pertains to striving to reach the lost. We must make every effort we can every day to say things for Jesus. And we have so many ways to do that. Take materials from Evangelism Center. That's why it's there. Take those business cards that are out there when you go out to eat and write a little note on the back of it. Ask the person who waits on your table if you can pray with them. Attend Mission Monday again. Not tomorrow night, but a week from from Monday night. Get involved in the, the various things we're doing. By the way, Lord willing, the bulletin this next week will, will give the list of the, the uh, activities for Mission Monday coming up. When it's time for your evangelistic card team to meet, make sure you're there with a heart that's saying, you know what, I don't know if this will actually touch someone's life or not, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do the best I can do. Use social media to talk about more than just sports. Share the Gospel. But whatever it is, don't stop. Let the fire keep burning. Because if all we ever are is the keepers of aquarium, what we really are is unfaithful. It's blunt. But the guy standing here needs to hear that more than anybody else. I like being comfortable. But people need Jesus. And so it is worth getting uncomfortable and getting out of the aquarium and going to do what we talked about this morning and become a fisher of men. Tonight, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you one of His disciples?
Have you put him on in baptism and given him your life? If not, tonight's the night to do that. Most of us in this room have. But if you have, and it's been a while since you've realized, you realize it's been a while since you've really been faithful. Maybe you need some encouragement tonight. Maybe you need some prayers of forgiveness. We'd be honored to pray with you. Whatever you need is, will you come? Always stand and sing to encourage you.